Welcome to Dragon Talk. Yay! Very excited. This is the official Dungeons and Dragons podcast. I'm Greg Tito, and I'm joined by Shelley Mazenoble. We had a wonderful time at D&D Celebration, uh, and we hope all of you are jumping into playing The Wild Beyond the Witchlight online, uh, maybe in your home games, and we want to hear all about it, because today we've got uh, two awesome guests from the D&D team, Kate Irwin and Ari Levich. People who worked on Wild Beyond the Witchlight. Uh, Kate was the art director for all of the uh, internal art, uh, which means she's commissioning all that stuff. We'll talk a lot about that. And then, of course, Ari, we've been talking to uh, on some Lori Schnow segments, but he contributed a whole bunch to the work uh, that lead designer Chris Perkins assigned to him. So really great stuff. Uh, and as always, it's great to check in with them on the process of making these, these, these awesome books for you guys. So stay tuned for that. Yes. Um, and we're getting ready for uh, Fizzband's Treasury of Dragons coming out uh, in October. Uh, very, very psyched for all of you to be as draconic as possible in your nature. Um, the hits just keep on coming, don't they? It's just nonstop. This is a big old book of dragons. And hopefully you were at D&D Celebration and maybe you even got to preview some content from uh, to play with content and just get some sneak peeks. Listen to James Wyatt on a panel talking about fizz bands. I think people are really excited about this book, Greg. I am too. I love getting more information about uh, half of the name of the game. Oh, exactly. Now Actually, we need... both. Because there's a lot of dungeons and dragon layers in Fizzbands Treasury of Dragons. In fact, it's a it's a big chunk of the book. Uh, learning about what the homes of these types of dragons are from metallic to chromatic to gem uh they all have different types of layers and they're just so evocative and basically it's like a whole bunch of just locations that you can put into your uh campaign however you want do you have a favorite type of dragon greg i think i am partial to the brass dragon okay uh which is a metallic dragon uh that is I'm not sure if this is actually true, but my or maybe this is more copper dragon. But I just love the idea of there being a chaotic good dragon. So it's something that's so powerful, but is also just really about mirth and uh, uh, and, and and comedy and pleasure. Like I, I, I like so many of my things. I like the idea of there being a, a a bardic dragon or a dragon who's into performance. Yes, it seems like that would fit a dragon's personality. Yes. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. That's my favorite. But what about you? Um, I am partial to an amethyst dragon as that's my birthstone. Oh. But I also really love fairy dragons as discovered in uh, The Wild Beyond the Witchlight. um, Actually, Domains of Delight, I think they're in. A beautiful piece of art that shows a cluster of fairy dragons. And I thought, you really can't get better than a fairy dragon. You really can't. I just want one. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned Domains of Delight. That PDF is available now on the Dungeon Masters Guild. It is a uh, chapter uh, that is in the same kind of theme of the chapter Domains of Dread in Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft uh, about how you might be able to create your own Domain of Dread. This takes that 
idea and uh, makes you uh, available, uh, gives you prompts on how to potentially design your own domain of delight. Uh, and the example to that would be Prismere. That right. is the setting of the Wild Beyond the Witchlight. So lots of great stuff in there. It's it's not t- tons of money, but all of the proceeds uh, that we earn from people picking up that PDF on Dungeon Master's Guild goes towards Extra Life. Uh, we're excited to support that charity yet again. Uh, it is all about playing games and raising money for the kids. Uh, mm-hmm. All of the uh, funds that they raise go towards the uh, Seattle Children's Hospital uh, in particular, but all the Children's Miracle Network of hospitals out there. And so you get some great fun content around doing the delight while helping out kids. Yep. And like you said, 100% of those proceeds. 100%. 110%. Yes, even more so. 100% of proceeds, 10% good karma. That's you. right. You get a lot of karma. Yes. Uh, which is a mechanic that you can use. I don't know. It should be a mechanic that you could use in a domain of delight. <laughs> you you can use it with your bardic dragon when you create that. Wow. You can give them some special ability to uh, hand out karma. Very cool. I want to hand out karma in the form of a dragon, brassy, I was going to say farts, but I just said it. So I'll just go with that. <laughs> A big, gassy, loud, brassy. Your nickname brrr. is Gassy Brassy. <laughs> hey, Gassy Brassy. That's what they call me. That's what they call me. On the playground. That's so sad. Gassy Brassy. <laughs> Just one time. One time and you'll never live it down. I couldn't hold it in. <laughs> I had a lot of chili the day before. Dragons love tacos. They do. There was a lot of... Gassiness in that one. For sure. Yeah. Um, so yeah, then we got we got uh, fizz bands, and then we of course got uh, Strixhaven, a curriculum of chaos coming hot on the heels in November, uh, which finally lets your D and D character get a job. Get a job. Working in a uh, campus, uh, a magical campus uh, inspired by the Magic the Gathering setting of Strixhaven. Uh, but it is about uh, that whole, all those tropes around going to an academy or a college uh, that you know and love. Um, one of which is, of course, having a, a job while you're uh, studying. But there's also lots of other fun things in there, like having relationships or going to a dance or frenemies. Course, frenemies, going on uh, uh, adventures with your frenemies for a student project. Yeah, you never know. A group project, studying for exams. Joining a club. Yeah. Join the club is what Join I Join the club. Uh, so much good stuff. Plus, there's beautiful uh, four-part adventure that each mm-hmm. um, year of your studies is represented through um, adventure, which you can just play as a one-off. Like, you could just be like, hey, friends, come on over. Sophomore year, we're just going to play this adventure. Or you can just string them together and have a really nice, long campaign. And I think I that... that. Um, Strixhaven feels like the kind of campaign that I could finally get my friends who don't play D&D to play D&D because yeah. maybe they have some fantasy inclinations and this is sort of a concept that they can wrap their brains around. Like instead of being like, we are in this town in the Forgotten Realms and it's hard to pronounce and there's a lot of apostrophes and consonants and... <laughs> Um, it's like too, like, you know, some, like too high fantasy for them to grasp. Yeah. But this is like, 
you're a student at a magical university and they've been to college and now they can actually have a fantasy version of that. I just feel like it's a good entry point for that. Yeah, for those I mean, people. You, you hear a lot about how people are get introduced to role playing games through just playing a character that's based on themselves. Yeah. Uh, and so they could totally do that type of thing with uh, with the trick saving thing. So mm-hmm. yeah, totally uh, open to new audiences in that way. And um, I can't wait. Me I want to be. Too. I want to get. I, I'm making my application to Strixhaven right now. Are you applying to I'm school? Applying. Early, okay. early access would be cool if we got into like the same dorm or something. I know, right? I hope. Yeah, that would be cool. Uh, anyway, I really want to be in uh, a amazing dorm at Ithaca College with James Wyatt. <laughs> uh, he actually uh, was there, right? Doesn't he has he have Ithaca. Ithaca he used to live there, yes. I think he lived in Ithaca. He has so a very strong connection. The lead designer for Fizban's uh, Tragedy of Dragons and worked a lot on, on Strixhaven as well. But we are going to talk to him about some lore uh, in Fizban's coming up before we get to talking to Ari and Kate. All right. Welcome to another segment of Lore You Should Know. This is where I uh, delve into a specific part of Dungeons & Dragons lore for your edification, for use at the table, just because it's fun to know these things. And today I'm talking to James Wyatt. Hi, James. Hi, Greg. How are you? Pretty good. Um, Good. This one is going to be about something I know is near and dear to your heart uh, in relation, of course, to Fizban's Treasury of Dragons, uh, which is coming out soon for uh, everybody out there who's a dragon fan, but there's a specific type of dragon, the dragon turtle, that is a, uh, an anomaly, I think, in the way most D&D fans talk about dragons. Uh, so uh, James is here to talk all about them uh, and get you psyched for, uh, hopefully, wanting to play with them uh, when Fizban's Dra- Treasury of Dragons comes out. Um, when were dragon turtles first introduced in, in D&D? So they go back... Way back, um, they were in the first edition Monster Manual. I, I think they might have been in the original box set too. I have found an illustration of a dragon turtle in Monsters and Treasure, book two of the, the original three book uh, box, but I actually wow. can't find any other mention of them in there. I'm going to have to dig a little deeper to get a definitive answer to that question, but I know they were in the Monster Manual um, where they had an awesome piece of art by Dave Trampier, which is one of the things that is sure to cement a place for a monster in my aging, withered heart. It's having that image of, uh, yes. of, of be so evocative that you want to use them all the time. Yeah, it's this gorgeous, very much like a woodcut, uh, black and white art. Awesome. And so they are, they're, they're aquatic dragons. They are aquatic dragons. And so there's, there's this weirdness where um, the way that, that dragons worked in first edition is the size of a dragon determined how many hit dice it had in a range of three and then the age determined how many hit points per die it had. Um, and dragon turtles worked exactly the same as the, the metallic and chromatic dragons in first edition in that way. And ever since then, they've never quite been treated the same. They've always been sort of the afterthoughts uh, of the dragon family, not been given the whole range of age categories and um, treated like full-blown members of the dragon family. So I set out to rectify that in Fizban's Treasury of Dragons. <laughs> that logical uh, kind of uh, hole needed to be filled. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
uh, sweet. So, so, but they are different than than the chromatic or metallic dragons that we've come to know. To some degree, yes. So they're not a member of the chromatic family or the metallic family. They're uh, they're traditionally neutral in alignment, sort of in between the two. They're not associated with Bahamut or Tiamat. There's, we actually made a joke in the book about uh, <laughs> Bahamut not being sure who made them <laughs> um, <laughs> or why. <laughs> oh, that's um, funny. But uh, sort of in fundamentals, they, they work very much the same. They're big reptilian creatures with a breath weapon that is steam, so it does fire damage, but it's watery, watery fire. Um and they've got, you know, the claw, claw, bite routine. What they don't have in the 5th edition monster manual is lair actions or regional effects or age categories. Um, so we, ha- we have in Fizzbands the uh, dragon turtle wormling, a young dragon turtle. And then we assume that the one in the monster manual is an adult dragon turtle. And then we have an ancient dragon turtle who is on the scale of the great worms, the elder sort of dragons oh, in, wow. in Fizzbands as well. Um, so, so what's your headcanon for how they did get created? Uh, if, if Bahama doesn't know, what, what, is, what does James Wyatt think? Um, I, I think they're probably Tiamat's fault. Mm. Um, and part of the reason I say that is that um, in, in her mythological re- roots, Tiamat is related to the sea. In the ancient Near East, uh, she was, in, in uh, Babylonian mythology, she was basically the, the chaos serpent that lived in the ocean that was killed and cut up to form the land for people to live on. Um, and so mythologically, I associate the sea with primal chaos that fits in with, with Tiamat's uh, background nicely. Probably she was sort of, she, she did the dragon turtles as sort of a sneaky side project <laughs> or, or a first draft or, it's possible they're the same sort of uh, uh, owlbear phenomenon of um, dragons mm. plus turtles in a in a very literal sort of way. But um, I, I like to think of them more mythologically than that. That makes sense. Um, do you think early on they were associated with dragons because they were, you know, Big lizards, or you know, or you know, big big reptiles at least, uh, and so that's why they had some of those similarities. Or is that kind of reptilian family not really part of this? You know, that's a good question. I don't know. I, I, I would be curious to dig more into this history and figure out uh, uh, where the idea came from. But like, there is an a, a mythological idea of. Um, like giant, enormous turtles, right? In Avatar The Last Airbender, there's that lion turtle that mm. ends up giving Aang the wisdom he needs to defeat the Fire Lord. Um, but the idea that, it, or, or or stories of turtles that are so big that sailors land on them and think they're islands and then until the turtle dives again. I saw a, a photo the other day of an enormous sea turtle up on, washed up on a beach. It was, you know, not island-sized, but really big. Yeah. Um, and... In fact, there was uh, an Archelon uh, uh, prehistoric giant turtle in the first edition Monster Manual as well. But so what I like about the dragon turtle is it, it takes that idea and and makes it very, very Dungeons and Dragons, right? <laughs> Putting yeah. the dragon on it makes it very much a part of of um, the material plane that we know of and and associate with D and D as a dragony place. 
Yeah, no, I yeah, there, I love all of those threads, you know, and I think of also the the huge turtle from uh, the Never Ending Story uh, as as inspiration too. Whenever I'm thinking about dragon turtles uh, and and how they can appear as land masses uh, yeah. before you realize exactly what uh, what you're dealing with. Um, so yeah, how do you how do you use dragon turtles in game? How what's what's why why do they have such appeal to you uh, when you're playing? Um, I have run a lot of campaigns on a world that is very watery. So uh, ocean dragons have been um, important for my uh, gaming for that reason. But I also like, um, again, I'm thinking about Avatar The Last Airbender with the Lake of Steam. The the idea that um, a dragon turtle might be superheating a body of water, um, might be in a volcanic lake. Uh, Again, the way that dragons change the environment around them. In addition to layer actions, regional effects around a dragon turtle is something that we uh, expand on in FizzBands as a possibility. Um, There's also, what did I just see about storm giants and dragon turtles? Or did I make that up? I can't remember now. (laughs) Was that just a dream I had? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Well, they they uh, definitely have yeah. a connection, right? With being, you know, Maelstrom, there is under the sea, and 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 uh, you know that connection. I can see exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I I love the idea of having uh, the different age categories available, right? So that now you could potentially throw a dragon turtle wormling at a at a low level party, uh, and and not kick their butt too too much. Right. Um, that, that's the, the ideal. Yeah. Right. And get that idea uh, out there. Um, but yeah, what's, uh, what's some storytelling ways that you can use, uh, dragon turtles other, other than just being, you know, a monster in the sea, you know, do they have the same kind of wants and needs that other dragons do? They absolutely do. And, uh, you know, we've got a, a table of adventure hooks connected to dragon turtles and uh, a number of tables, depending on the age of the dragon turtle to pair them with other creatures as they're building an adventure. So, um, I mean... I kind of want to see dragon turtles in lakes that are the keepers of great secrets. And the beauty is, you know, I associate them with the chaos of the sea and with potentially with Tiamat, but they are neutral um, Mm. as written in the monster manual. And so um, they can be dispensers of wisdom, keepers of the secrets of the deep. Um, I I actually kind of really dig that idea. The idea that, that diving into the ocean, they can plumb the depths of, secrets that are not available to people who live up on the surface and bring up treasures that are buried from shipwrecks or uh yeah find i love that lost civilizations sunk yeah atlantis sunken under underwater well and i and uh i was recently just thinking about ithaca new york and how you my know, hometown you're from there as well and you know those finger lakes go pretty darn deep uh, in upstate New York. So I'm wondering if maybe there's uh, some way that you can bring dragon turtles, not just in the sea, but in, in, in freshwater uh, anomalies like that. Yes, definitely. I think that's so cool. A Loch Ness monster. Mm-hmm. They would definitely fill that role. Um, I, I had a miniature of a dragon turtle when I was really young. It was mm. one, of the, one of those old grenadier lead miniatures. Um, but the the shape of its head was very much a Loch Ness monster kind of hook, <laughs> oh, neat. which is what made me think of it. One of my earliest and poorest paint jobs on miniatures ever. Do you still have it? 
I'm not Somewhere. sure. Maybe a dragon turtle will dig it up from the deeps and, uh, and bring it back to you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Awesome. Uh, so, uh, you know, in addition to the the easier version in Fizzbends, the Wormling, you've got the, the uh, what did you say, they're on par with the Great Worm, right? So yep. Yep. it might yep. be a big bad of someone's campaign. Absolutely. It's, a, you know, a very high-level uh, mythic monster. So you fight it for a while, and then suddenly it's surrounded by lightning storms. We have this amazing piece of art to go with it So um, that shows it's surrounded by a storm. Um, so it gets a bunch of hit points back. It gets a new legendary action it can take. And it's just terrifying and awesome and cool because it's a dragon turtle. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I like the neutral aspect too. So like they could be, you know, the thing that you bring in to help with the fighting a big dragon at the end, uh, you know, or they could be the adversary themselves. Um, but uh, I guess that the, if if you were to come up with like a personality of or, or or say what the personality of dragon turtles are, you know, you could say red dragons are this way and and and, and copper dragons are this way. What is, what do you what do you think of the personality of of a dragon turtle, or is it something that you can imprint, you know, anything on because they are neutral? Um, I tend to think of them as being mysterious, um, but and and. Yeah, like I, I feel like there's definitely a range there where on, on the one hand, there's um, the wise digging up the secrets from the depth, um, the the lion turtle and avatar sort of idea. And then mm. on the other hand, um, there's just the the brutally destructive sea monster aspect. <laughs> um, and I guess the beauty is they totally can go either direction uh, and serve either purpose. I like that. Maybe, they, maybe they even there's a uh, a campaign there uh, around twins, uh, around two of these yes. pulling, each, pulling at each other. Yes, two like differently colored dragon turtles that were created at the beginning of the world and <laughs> govern different aspects of the sea. And one of them is aligned with Demogorgon, and one of them is aligned with a good god of the of sailors and stuff and. Okay. Yeah, I'm on board. I want to play in that campaign. <laughs> yep. Yep, I'm doing it. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks, James, for uh, talking through uh, what is exciting about Dragon Turtles. I think, you know, just like this conversation, Fizzbands, Treasury of Dragons is full of just ideas uh, that dungeon masters and players can mine to, to, to bring to the table and just, you know, uh, really expand upon the, that, that part of the Dungeons & Dragons game that has it in the title. <laughs> That's right. Uh, awesome. And then hopefully we can, you know, eventually change the title to Dungeons and Dragon Turtles. Yes, that's my long-term goal. Okay, <laughs> that's not my long-term goal. <laughs> Somebody's going to take me seriously. <laughs> no, we don't. We're just joking. But thanks so much. Uh, and people want to uh, potentially reminisce uh, with you about uh, Dragon Turtles of old, or come up with some ideas with you. What's the uh, best way to reach you? Uh, probably on Twitter where I am Aquella James because Aquella A-Q-U-E-L-A is the name of the watery planet that I created for my D&D campaigns when I was in high school and that's how much of a nerd I am <laughs> and that's why you love dragon turtles <laughs> exactly awesome alright well thanks a lot James we'll be back with some more fun stuff next week okay 
Laura, you should know. I know so much more about dragons now. I love to hear James Wyatt talk about anything, especially dragons. Especially dragons. I want to lay an egg of a dragon (laughs) now and have it be born as a fairy dragon that will be my friend and cuddle with me into the night. If you could lay dragon eggs, you would be very rich. (laughs) I was wondering where this was going. Uh, it's true. I would pay you to make me a dragon. I'm going to make you a fairy dragon right now. Amazing. That's some gassy brassy coming back. <laughs> That's a comeback, people. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. On that note, let's talk to Kate and Ari. And, let's do uh, it. And get all of our gases out before we do that. Yeah. Don't want to offend them. Mm-mm. Not off the bat. No. Everyone, let's welcome Ari Levich, game designer, and Kate Irwin, art director to Dragon Talk. Yay! Yay! <laughs> welcome! Hello. So excited for both of you to be here. Oh, it's, great. it's great to be back. Good. <laughs> I'm excited to be here with Ari. Yeah, right. likewise. This is so cool. Yeah. A little dream team over here. We put, go ahead. I was just going to say, we can't get enough of the Switchlight, which is why we're we're back to talk more about it and have um, Kate join us so we can talk a little bit about how the Feywild came to life visually, mm-hmm. because it's stunning. It's very pretty. Um, it's really nice after doing Icewind Dale last year to have wit, which was, you know, there's no sun, it's eternal <laughs> night. Um Cold. No cold, no even reflecting light on anything. And now it's a carnival in the Feywild. And so, yeah. Yeah. Expand the palette, right? Because it was like dark yeah. blues and purples and <laughs> yeah. blacks. And here's like every color is here in Wild Beyond the Witchlight. Yep. It was a nice change of pace. Beautiful. What were you going to say, Greg, before I cut you off? I was going to do the same thing. So I'm happy that we're all in here and ready to talk around, uh, you know, some of the visuals. I think that's been one of the greatest uh, points of excitement for the, the D&D fans out there around this. And now that they have the book in hand, they get to see all of those amazing, amazing images. Uh, you know, Kate, maybe you could talk a little bit about going back in time to when you were commissioning some of these Mm-hmm. Um, uh, images and you know what, what? Yeah, what was it like going from that contrast of of you know perhaps a little bit more uh, not as awesome, well, very awesome, but not as colorful descript- art descriptions, uh, and yeah. and then being able to give these to to the artists out there for for Wild Beyond the Witchlight. Yeah, it, it, you know, um, it all starts with the concept art. Um, Sean Wood and uh, Richard Witters. Uh, work together to to come up with visuals for all of the new concepts and and they um and of course Chris Perkins as the lead too um uh and game designers like Ari give their two cents but really being able to um bring the place to life a little bit more than um just when you're reading about it on on a page um and adding things like the all of the carnival where all of the carnival go, uh 
workers have the wings on so that if you're in the carnival, you know who to go to and just little things like that, that kind of bring the world to life. Um, and then of course, all of the, the interesting things that happen uh, once you get into the Feywild as well. But um, <laughs> I love, um, I love going through the concept guide and then we talk to the, um, when I, when I'm gathering the artists and I'm telling them a little bit about what the setting is, people were really excited to, um, to do it because it's because of it being so much more whimsical, like people like the really right. dark stuff and they like the really, uh, bright and exciting stuff. And there's something about the Feywild that, uh, everybody likes because it's both it's, it's the, the goofy silliness and also the, uh, that's really unsettling. Stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good, that's an important distinction. And we talked about that too with you, Ari, is that the Feywild is not just like rainbows and pretty flowers and like it, it, it can be a very dark yeah. place as well. So that must have been challenging, but fun for you to have to, like how do you in your role find the ways to balance that and to show both sides of the Feywild with, but yet have it still very much feel like the same place. Um, well, so part of it, it all starts with the writing um, of the art orders. And that comes from the lead and all of the writers on the book. Um, the writers will write what they think is interesting. Um, and then it kind of goes through the Chris filter and, uh, Chris really is the Feywild. Like he is, uh, kind and loving and opening and, and open and, uh, emotive, but he also has a really dark side to him, which not like, (laughs) <laughs> no no not like that but not but like, like a comes, dateline nbc dark no, side no just like, <laughs> uh, no just uh uh what did you say what is this like that kind of of dark side um his imagination can uh can go to really weird places and really dark yeah. places and really silly places and he he kind of embodies all of that in a person so um i think i think that that's a big part of why the art descriptions uh helped guide the artists in that way that's so cool um and there's so one of the things i love so much about this adventure and the story is the characters like there is such a crazy wild array of of characters that you will get to meet along the way some mm-hmm. of them I are, are like you know brought back from previous iterations of D, but some of them are new right mm-hmm. like we've never seen them before so how do you decide who's gonna get like a a glow up you know for <laughs> for this story versus like yeah this is you know the the basic features of these types of creatures will stay the same as opposed to like, how do you decide like, well, you know what, let's give them some new features. And, or maybe that also has to do with the writing part as well. But uh, Definitely has to do with the writing. Um, as, uh, so there are two different things. There are individual characters with names and there are monsters or right. creatures. Um, and 
like just in general for monsters and things like that, we really try to, to stay um, true. We never contradict anything that's in the fifth edition core books. Right. So um, either visually or written. Um, but when you have a named character, uh, you have a lot more leeway in what you can do uh, visually with that, that character. Um, like, uh, let's say you have a kobold, and kobolds always have red skin, but, um, but you have a named kobold who has a spell on them that uh, has taken all of the pigment out of them. And so mm-hmm. they are ghostly white. Um, that ghostly white cobalt would never be in uh, an image of cobalt, but it might be in Schmiggy Schmoo, the cobalt without any pigment. Oh. You know? Yeah. I want to hang out with Schmiggy Schmoo. Schmiggy Schmoo. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's cool because yeah, there are so many different named characters. You mentioned the the Witchlight Carnival workers, but also just you know all of the the myriad of, of of folks that people can meet throughout uh, this adventure. And there are um, you know just some really great uh, uh, characters there. So yeah, maybe Ari, maybe you could talk a little bit about what it was like. Um, you know, talking, making some up of those characters, and then seeing them come to life in the artwork uh, and seeing that stages along the way. I mean, yeah, that, that's one of the, uh, to me, one of the most fun parts of of creating is kind of seeing ideas that I'm, you know, jotting down and seeing other creative people like artists realize those things and put their their interpretation on it. And then it'll inform the way I write those characters in the adventure. And it's just kind of this collaborative process. So I absolutely love that part of it. And so like for, for my part, I got to play mostly with... Um, uh, with the, with Hither, which is one of the kind of hag realms inside of uh, the Domain of Delight, uh, Prismere, and uh, within the adventure. And so, you know, kind of what Kate was talking about, like, we know, we have a good sense of what goblins look like. There have been a lot of goblins featured in 5e. And, well, I got to create a character um, that, uh, that, is, that, that you meet along the way, a character who, uh, a goblin who hoards keys, who collects and hoards Aww. keys. And uh, this goblin has a coat of, essentially a coat of keys that that jingle around uh, when, when they when they when they walk. So that their name is uh, Jingle Jangle, and so uh, <laughs> Jingle Jangle is this uh, is this adorable character that you get to meet along the way. And yeah, not your typical. You're not going to see goblins just adorned or festooned in keys. Keys aren't a goblin thing, but that's Jingle Jangle's thing. And so, part of the joy of working in the Feywild is giving each of these characters little quirks or obsessions or whatever it is that in, in kind of this just dial up that fake quality uh, of whatever uh, creature or, you know, monster in terms of like monster manual uh, entries, dialing up the fake qualities there um, in, in individual and intriguing ways and just seeing what artists get to do with it. Kate, it makes me so happy that you said that artists like loved the premise of working in the Feywild. And so mm-hmm. just... The, the idea of being able to kind of stretch those mu- or seeing artists stretch those muscles is really cool. Like Sam Kaiser did some amazing things in this book. I think of the uh, storm cloud balloon mm. from the chapter I got to work out, work on. That was just one of my favorite images in the oh, whole yeah. book. Yeah. That was a really cool one. He also did the snail race. Right. Uh, no way. Illustration. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's awesome. Um, one of the, when we were talking about the Feywild, one, the image that popped into my mind um, 
is a scene by Ollie Lawson. And I, I don't remember what the name of the building is, but it the, the image is a beautiful, quirky kind of building in a swamp. Um, but then when you really look at it, the, the lower level is just a bunch of legs um, <laughs> because it can walk around. It's, it, but you don't see that at first. You see this kind of, kind of idyllic, but swampy sort of thing. And you're like, there's something weird about this. And then you go, oh, shoot. Yeah, it's a great second yeah. read. It's great. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's the, the in at the end of the road. In at the end of the road, yeah. Yeah. It walks around. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. That's something that you discover along the way, uh, which is great. One of the parts oh, of, you know, of D&D as well as just uh, fantasy in general is maps. I just love <gasps> being transported into these worlds and seeing a visual representation of it. And I want to talk a little bit about that because there's there's so much great dungeon maps in here, but then there's also the map of the Witchlight Carnival that just, I think, really uh, you know, was a great, I don't know, bringer of people into this story. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, Kate, did you did you have a, a hand in, in, in art directing uh, that and how that all worked? Well, I art directed it, but... Um, it was really Will Doyle and um, Stacy Allen. Allen, thank you. Mm-hmm. I was going to say Adams, and then I was like, that's wrong. Stacy Allen. Um, working with Chris, uh, they they had started working early on before, before we even commissioned things um, to kind of, again, flesh out the world, make it feel more realistic. It was part of the concept push. And so then as we were um, commissioning the rest of the art, then uh, Will and Stacy finished up those maps, made any tweaks uh, based on changes that we made uh, to the story as we went along um, and then colored them up and made them all, all juicy and delicious. Um, <laughs> and, and because they were part of the concepting, they knew um, they knew way more about the actual story than a cartographer that you bring in later on would know. So um, all of the the beautiful little addition things in the frame of that um, of that poster were just things that they were like, well, what about this? What about that? You know, it was that kind of back and forth, which I think always adds a richness to to things. Yeah, that's kind of a bonus. I mean, that they were so involved in the story, but they're also incredible map makers. Yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that doesn't somebody, always happen. To get somebody who who can do the what if part and then also take it to the final uh, producible product. Um, there there are, are a number of artists who can do that kind of thing. Um, but when you, when you get to have that experience, um, I think it definitely shows up in the end product. Yeah. That's so cool. They're just so um, immersive. They they oh. they do such like a great. They do a lot of heavy lifting in just drawing you into the Feywild. It's not you know mm-hmm. it's not a scene or anything like that. But it is it is a map that is just it's not tactical. It is just here's what these you know that impression of the, the these places and it's just yeah it just pulls you in. I love it. I love all the maps. And one of the things that Chris had mentioned to me early on with the maps is that um, with the carnival is that. Um, 
you know, what you, what you remember was over in the far corner um, might now be 180 degrees different when you try to go back there, like mm. things move around. So um, doing a map of a place like that has its own challenges, but then it's also like, well, this is just a snapshot in time. Like maybe, maybe it's not there anymore. Maybe um, it's kind of the ultimate unreliable uh, narrator. Right. I love yeah. that that map too is, is you know that looking at it, that this is not just a representation for the dungeon master to show the players, yeah. the locations. It's also, you know, a published thing that, people in the witch like carnival might have you know and so it feels like it's it's doing so many uh, you know storytelling lifting uh throughout <laughs> it and it's it, yeah it does and i love that over the course of dnd celebration over the last weekend people have been able to explore and and go to those locations uh you know in an online setting and you know feel like a little bit like they're they're in the witch like carnival um you know en masse uh, online uh, in addition to you know folks who are running this adventure yeah. There's another technical thing about that map um, that I just yeah. want to throw out there. Yeah. Because uh, doing a map that's a poster size map that looks good, big as a poster, but is also incredibly legible in the size that you see it in the book. Um, that's that's not an easy thing to do. It doesn't just happen. Like they they worked really hard to make sure that that things were um, clean and legible. And then of course, as we were putting the book together, making sure that the tags still read and things like that. But, um, but really it comes down to that, that map itself being able to, to work in multiple ways. Are you talking about like the vectorness of it? Like that it can be shrunk um, and still be legible or, or, or are you just yes. talking about the way the design like, works in general? Um, that, so oftentimes if you're making something that's really large, when you shrink it down, um, things that are, are interesting in the large thing just get totally obscured mm -hmm. and you don't really see them um, or vice versa. Uh, it could go, it could go the other way too, that that's something that seems inconsequential uh, when it's small, when you make it big, it's like, Oh my gosh, there's uh, there's a whatever symbol in there that really isn't that symbol when it's small, it's just a shadow. But when you make it big, all of a sudden, Oh shoot. Um, <laughs> Yeah. So those are always things that that we're looking out for um, when we're when we're doing something that has to have double duty like that, um, and then of course to use it for marketing and for the event and and all of that. Like um, it it really uh, it's not just a beautiful thing, but it uh, there's a lot of thoughtfulness that um, is behind it too. I guess that's kind of my point. Yeah. Did Will and Stacy do all of the maps in this book? Um, I think they did all of them. That's really I'm cool. Fairly I, certain, yeah. I thought I yeah. heard that. That's so they. I'm looking at one um, loom lurch, loom lurch, loom lurch, which is also a really really neat map. Very cool. I don't know what yeah. what it is. Map about maps. That it's just like, I just feel like I can just stare at like a little corner of the map just endlessly and like, just what is over here? Just, it just really takes your imagination and just goes wild with it. Like when you actually like can see a location and just like, but where does this stream go? Where does it begin? <laughs> like, 
Tell me, it has to begin yeah. and end somewhere. I only see a part of it here. This is, it's just, it's really cool. But their work is, is incredible. And yeah, um, yeah, we, we just, like I said, we can't get enough, cannot get enough yeah. of exploring this place. Um, so some of the, I l- love all of the characters. Um, some I have more of an affinity towards, obviously like Shelly Moo the snail. We all know <laughs> that. But I am particularly fond of the hags. Oh my goodness. I love I love a good hag, let me just tell you. <laughs> I I feel like I just identify with <laughs> the hags and the witches. I just do. And um these are three of the best that I've ever seen. Um they are so distinct and so weird and whimsical and beyond. I just want to know like what their story was, like how the evolution of how they became such three distinct beings. Maybe that started with you, Ari. I mean, I, I could I could speak to some of the thought that went into these characters. Yes, please. Um, so we knew that we when we were going to create the three hags, that they we didn't want to map them to existing types of hags. We didn't want them to be, you know, night hags or green hags or whatever. We said these are going to be their own characters. And so we needed to set out creating, and we knew that they were going to be associated with, you know, the present, the past, and the future as just as these kind of markers um, for the hourglass coven. And so it started to take shape when we when we thought about the place, well, we started thinking about their kind of hag realm. So that one's going to be in a swamp, one's going to be in this, you know, forest, and one's going to be in this, uh, in this mountainous region. And when uh, the writers, uh, in this case, you know, with, with guidance of, of Chris Perkins, uh, Stacy, Will, and I, we're starting to create our create our characters. Um, they took on a lot of personality pretty quickly. So Will knew that in his his uh, one, the, the chapter he was writing, which was thither, that. Um, uh, that hag was going to have like a toy workshop type thing and wanted to build that into the costuming and in just into the character itself. So you'll notice that uh, Scabbath and Nightshade has a wind-up key in her back. And then if that ever winds down, then that's when, you know, she can lose her cool. And Uh-oh. so it's always kind of, uh, you know, this kind of ticking time bomb kind of vibe to it. Um, and so, uh, you know, there's kind of this whole kind of... Uh, painted toy, wooden toy um, uh, vibe to her as well. Her her skin almost looks like worm-eaten wood and it's got that kind of texture to it. Um, and then we knew with uh, Endolin, uh, with uh, Endolin, who is in Yon, um, she is very theatrical. And so literally taking that theater concept and puppetry and all that kind of stuff and building that into her person. Um and for uh, for Hither, uh, when I was working on um, Bavlorna, uh, I knew that I wanted to have a community of bullywugs surrounding her her cottage, and so I, I wanted to give her kind of this toad like appearance, and I I wanted her to kind of she has this pool that she kind of you know essentially uh, kind of hangs out in because if she if she leaves that pool for too long her skin will dry out almost like uh, it'll like mummify or be like jerky and it'll start to crack and stuff like that so she's constantly has to like baste herself in this special pool and so like they all took on these uh, uh, these unique they all have these kind of uh, unique attributes and took on their you know um, these characteristics it started to just kind of build on itself to create these three uh, 
wonderful ladies. Oh, I want to see a remake of Hocus Pocus with um, these three <laughs> hacks. <laughs> That is what we need. Get um, that middler on the phone. Yes, <laughs> I could see it. So, Kate, oh. in one, so I love, um, well, I like, obviously love them all, but Endolin, Moongrave. So, in her, like, her art is so, it's like the kind of thing, like, I don't want to keep looking at her, but I can't, I can't, I can't stop looking. But I, she's like yeah. very, like, unsettling to me with like the little, like, theater scene happening in her torso <laughs> but in her torso. so I, her skirt is torn and like it always was like i feel like why i just want to ask is there uh, a reason why her skirt like is she just like like i don't care but I, or is this just like oh she tore it on the way to get her photo taken really it's she would normally like not go out looking <laughs> like this but i just feel like there's like, why is there, uh, like, what's the deal, Endelin? Do you just not care? <laughs> Have you just, did you not notice? Do we just the not show change must our, go on. you just like, yeah, like yeah. we're just worn and torn and it's just like, <laughs> I'm just going to do my thing. I'm too busy to worry about this. I don't know what it is about like, I was staring at her for a long time because it's really creepy art, but amazing. But the the holes in her skirt just like struck me for some reason. Um, Shelly, I'll tell you the, the reason for that. It was in the concept art that way. Why it's in the concept art that way, I don't know. So we have Are to go to Sean? Sure? No, I was, yeah. I was going to ask, is that a, was that a Sean Wood thing? I couldn't remember if that was in the concept art. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, Sean, I'm Sean did the concept art for, for the three. For all uh, three of them. Three of them, yeah. Because it's like a very beautiful, like, like her skirt, like seems like yeah. at one time it was very, very... Uh, rich elegant. and elegant and I just wonder yes. like if she was just like a little grungy and kind of favored <laughs> it that way but um, I mean, the other hags, hags in general th- like part of the thing about hags is actually finding you know bedraggled qualities actually favorable and so this idea of having you know uh, you know torn skirt or kind of haphazard clothes or whatever that's that's very much in line with uh, kind of uh, the way many hags kind of see the world so is, is reveling in that kind of uh, bedraggled quality. But her, like, the Bavlorna does not have um, worn clothes. Like, her clothes look pretty nice, considering she's, like, bathing herself in water all the time. <laughs> yeah, Bavlorna. <laughs> she looks yeah. good. She looks great for a and swampy Scabitha, like, Scabitha's dress seems like it's... She probably uh, smells bad. She looks good. <laughs> but she looks right. great. Yeah. But it, she could be like soaking herself in wool light for all you know. Like it could be, <laughs> you know, <laughs> keeping her clothes fresh and her skin nice and dewy. Um, but those are the kind of details that I like to look at with the art is like, well, is that part of your story? Like really, like is she, is the hole on her dress because of she was saving something or was she trapped mm-hmm. somewhere and right. got the, that she wears it like a badge of honor to remind herself of the time that she was I, poor. I am looking at the concept guide <laughs> right now to see if there was anything specifically said about it. And um, and no, it just said uh, the dress opens and acts as a stage for tiny puppeteers. So crazy. Or tiny puppets on golden strings. The the dress ribs move and are. Uh, source of locomotion. So she she walks 
on the ribs of her dress. Um, <laughs> Crazy. Uh, well, I, I love what we can what we can highlight about this is that like you know there's, there's there's probably this idea in a lot of fans that you know an artist makes a piece of art and then we just put it in the book, right? But this really even just the, the way we're talking about this right now, this really highlights how making these things is just as much a collaborative storytelling effort as it is playing the game, right? So the way we're talking about oh was that Sean? Was that the artist? Was that the the person who wrote the art description? Was it just, uh, you know, something that Kate, Kate was like, oh, maybe do this a little bit differently. Like, you know, it's so interesting mm-hmm. to kind of see, and it's probably different for each piece, right? Absolutely, yeah. Um, and and also for um, the, the process is different for different kinds of art sometimes. Uh, like I was saying, for a named character, uh, like Endolin, we have a piece of reference art where talking about specific things about her costuming that, that are story elements that have to be uh, adhered to. So the artist doesn't have, um, they have the power of making that piece, but the final artist is, um, is doing that within guidelines mm-hmm. that are, that are more prescribed than, um, than for a character that, that has no name or um, is we, you know, we just want it to, to, uh, have a certain body language and carry these weapons, but they can make up what the the costuming looks like uh, in general, um, things like that. So it all depends on the art order and um, and sometimes with the hierarchy in the story, something that that is more story bearing um, has again more rails than. Right, but sometimes there's freedom just to be like, do whatever you know. Here's the yeah. here's a goblin who's looking in that direction. Done. And especially when you're in the concept part of, of a product, um, there's way more freedom and the back and forth and, and the collaborative communication with the writers and the book lead and the art artists um, where people are throwing out ideas and, well, what if this, what if that, it's that kind of improv sort of thing that, um, that a good game of D&D is to the um yes and this and this and oh, what about yeah. this and and oh that idea is great for this other thing let's mm. you know uh that whole process is uh is super exciting yep. and then yep once we once we're doing the actual art later on um there is still some of that but it's not as intense as in the concept Part. What were you going to say, Ari? Oh, I was going to. I was just going to throw in like that whole process that you're describing is literally the reason why I do this. That I'm not writing novels, right? Like I, this <laughs> is the part that gives me creative energy. I, I feed off yeah. that kind of uh, that collaboration. It's just so cool to see like Kate working with all these artists every day, going through and seeing the sketches that come in, and just kind of seeing the art take shape. And every day you see a project look more and more like a book, and it just gets closer mm-hmm. and closer to that. And it just it, I I just I love that thing rather than you know just sitting at my computer punching on a keyboard until something comes out. I all this kind of stuff working with working with artists that I admire uh, and working with other writers and everything is just it's it's the best. It's it's absolutely the best. That's cool. Yeah. So I have a question, and I I don't know. I think you guys can answer this. Where did the motif of the butterfly wings kind of come from? And was that was that some of your influence to be like, well, let's take that and use it in more of the graphic design going forward? 
think Ari can maybe speak to where it came from. Yeah. So a lot of the the origin of the the butterfly uh, wings is is tied to uh, the Witchlight Carnival itself. So you know the attendants there they wear wings and kind of there's this butterfly uh, through line uh, through it. And even Durlagron, the uh, displacer beast, you know, uh, she works at the Witchlight uh, Carnival. So she has this whole array that her uh, displacer beast tentacles hold up the wings. And it's just, it's it's an amazing uh, way to do it. And I think, Kate, correct me if I'm wrong, was it Trish who came up with the idea of incorporating the the, the wings into more of the motif? Is that right? Am I remembering that correctly? Yeah. So when we... Um... Once the art is in and the text is in a really good place, but before we actually start laying out the book, we do a concepting part for uh, where we're exploring different ideas for the look and feel inside the book. And this one we did even earlier because we had the dice set and the dice set uh, needed was, was, because of the intricacies of making the dice set, um, its schedule was earlier than the layout of the book. So we really leaned into the butterfly motif um, for the dice set. For the outer box, the, the, the box that you roll the, the dice in, um, Trish really only came up with two ideas, and both of them had butterfly wings uh, incorporated in them. And so, um, I mean, but, but that was the point. It was like, we know this is what we want to do. So like, sure. Usually we have two or three ideas, but, uh, we really want to do this. So it, it kind of, uh, it, it was a no brainer almost. Um, so we just, you know, worked and refined um, that. And then once we knew that that was kind of uh, a motif for the dice set, we knew that we would want to enter, uh, have that that built into the, the look of the book itself. And, um, you know, we've got all those splotches that incorporate the art into the, the flow of the book and adding the butterflies in there too was inspired, beautiful. I, I so love yes, it was Trish. <laughs> nice. I love that. I, I love the idea of everybody at the carnival, working at the carnival, wore, wears butterfly wings. I just, I love that it, it yeah. just comes up. I always, I don't thought, I thought because if I were to draw wings and I'm, because I'm not an artist, it looks like a backwards a three and a three. And I know <laughs> that three was important. And then when you put them together, it's an eight. So I was oh. like, that made sense to me, but um, that's, super cute. that's not how like real artists draw butterfly wings. <laughs> that's just how I learned when I was like five and I never evolved. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but I think that that's a great call out. Like that's, that's a really cool thing too. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's just like any type of art. It's all subjective. It's what you, you, mm-hmm. what resonates with you. Like why a hag that has a tear in her skirt, like sent me down a rabbit hole, but Sean was probably just like, uh, she's a hag. That's why. She looks yeah. cool. It's like <laughs> it's like a it's like a she it's like a no rip skin. a rip in her t- her nylons, right? It just it looks cool. Yeah, yeah. She's 
She's grungy. She's grungy. Yeah. Uh, I also just love, I mean, I love the detail of them all wearing wings as like a signifier of that they're workers there. It makes me think that yes. they all have 88 pieces of butterfly wing flare <laughs> on their on their person. <laughs> Mr. Witch and Mr. Light are very much uh, uh, working at shenanigans as well as, <laughs> as the carnival. And you better have your wings on or you're going to have trouble. Not enough flare. So one of the other pieces uh, that I really love about this, I, d- I was talking about this when I was uh, talking to Ari, but I just recently rewatched uh, Legend uh, by Ridley Scott, and the mm-hmm. unicorn is such a wonderful image uh, in, in that movie, and it just feels very Feywild to me. And then so having unicorns, uh, you know, in, in a couple of wonderful pieces here in this book, um, it's just I just love that going back to... I don't know, some of the old tropes around fantasy out there. So that was one of my favorite ones. Um, do, you, do you have any memories yeah. around art directing that, uh, Kate? <laughs> um, well, one of the uh, one of the, the main characters is Will of the Feywild and um, and the the unicorn horn. Um, so that was. I knew that unicorn had to be uh, within the story, but I wasn't sure when we were commissioning, like how strong of a theme that would be. Mm. Um, so, uh, you know, we had, we had a few pieces and of course there's the the tracker at the end of the book um, where we, we used unicorn art there too. Um, but uh, yeah, I'd, I think that I was more, um, which is very strange because I usually go after the cute thing. Oh. <laughs> like that's where my eye wanders. My dogs are cute. My husband's cute. I like the cute. Um, <laughs> He's got a unicorn horn too. <laughs> He's, He's a unicorn. Um, yes. And Almirage um, dig that too. Um, but I think, I think maybe because there was so much uh, wonderful, kind of cuteness stuff that I in this book actually gravitated more towards the the creepy stuff like the hags or or um I don't know some of the like the creepier monsters. And there are plenty. <laughs> Kate, what did what ended up being your favorite monster? No. Um Oh gosh, I don't know. I didn't think about that. Uh, it's got to be hard for you to choose. You probably feel like they're all your babies. <laughs> well, uh, it's true. Some are more my babies than others. Um, I'm pulling up the. Oh, I well, he's not really monstery, but I loved Clabberclaw, the mm. the guy with the lobster hands. <laughs> um, it's not really a monster, but. That's one a of the, little uh, spare the guides. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Ari loves him too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking through here. Do you have a favorite Ari while Kate is looking? Yeah, I think I went over it. Um, with the Briganok is my is my favorite. Oh. Just they're so cool. Uh, yeah, I just I want to befriend like a hundred of them. <laughs> <laughs> they they are very cute. I always oh, get the yeah. Briganok and the Korid mixed up for some reason. Well, in the story, there's there's reason for that. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, I haven't gotten there yet. So we also worked on a uh, uh, a PDF that's available for folks to get from Dungeon Masters Guild, the Domains of Delight, uh, which uh, was you know, originally thought of to be a, a chapter within this, right? Uh, and then uh, was split off, you know, to allow folks to kind of create their own Domains of Delight around uh, the themes and ideas of the Feywild that Prismere kind of is an example of, too. So there was a lot of artwork uh, and layout that went into that as well, right? Yeah. Um, since that didn't have to be printed, um, we did that after we had finished the book. Yeah. So all of the all of the um, all of the things that we solidified in the book are also in the PDF. And I commissioned the art that goes in the PDF at the same time that I that I did the, the rest of the book art. So it's all pretty seamless. So there's stuff that people haven't seen from Wild Beyond the Witchlight in in that as well. Yes. New artwork. Oh, that's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The fairy dragons. Oh my god, I love them. That little <laughs> cluster of fairy dragons. That's exactly what I was thinking of. Um, <laughs> fairy dragons come in every color. Uh, so we have a, a rainbow of fairy dragons in the in the um, <laughs> domains of delight. I love that. So cool. I don't, it probably wasn't a, a, a reference to anything, but I just love the idea of like, you know, there's, oh, yeah. there's different colors for everybody and different backgrounds and different orientations and all that stuff. And I love that that's... Uh, you know, visually shown by all the fairy dragons together. Yeah. And um, the other piece that stands out to me is Yarn Spinner. The creepy, oh. he's a big spider and he's reading stories to little <laughs> to the little baby animals. I mean, it can't be cuter. And I never thought I would say that about a giant spider. But it's so cool. Yeah. Yeah, especially since it's spider season for us right now yes. here in Seattle. Oh. <laughs> I think I saw a kin of yarn spinner in our basement the other day. About the same size. Yep. So, yeah. like, definitely the biggest one that I have seen in Seattle yet. Uh, and it was not, it was just on the floor. Like, it wasn't on a wall. It was just like. Like ha ha! Like I'm like it was like standing guard. Like in from like I have to do the laundry, and it was just like there in front of the door. Like Let me toss. No, you, you hear a, yeah. like a very proper British voice. Excuse me. <laughs> Are you a yarn spinner? Are you here to tell us a tale? Uh, uh, um, we we use yarn spinner in in the book and in the PDF. Um, she she I think she's a she. Aren't all spiders she's? It's canon. She's a she. Yeah. Um, yeah. So she's in both both products. And she's got like a little um, fairy on one of her, her <laughs> arms. That's just like, I'm just going to sit here and listen to the story as well. It's a good story. It's very, it's really, really adorable. Um, so like the, and Yarn Spinner is an arch fay. Yeah. So Yarn Spinner is an arch fay. And in the... Uh, the PDF of Domains of Delight, that yarn, yarn Spinner is an example of how you how the document can um, help you create your own arch face. So Yarn Spinner is kind of uh, was spun from uh, from you, you know, using that guidance, and <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so that that's kind of kind of cool when you're when you go through that document, you're building your own arch face and your own domain of delight. And it kind of walks you through the process. It's like, here's an example of one. And Yarn Spinner is in there, including a stat block for Yarn Spinner. 
I want to love make that. one. I love that. And then there's so many tables in there too, right? So that oh, you can roll and, and, and try to determine what your domain of delight will be like. That's right. That's right. I got a three. Well, which uh, table are you on? I don't know. I'm just rolling a, 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 a D8. <laughs> okay, so okay. For, for the domain of delight, this is not for the arch face. This is for the place. The first uh, table is geographical features. So you rolled a three. So in your domain of delight is a crystal castle that sings in sunlight or moonlight. Ooh. Oh. All right, I want to okay. roll. Can I roll one? Yeah. Yeah. All right, okay. so we got a crystal castle. I'm going to say moonlight. Is I also got a three. What's the next table? So the next one is the domain theme. Ooh, ooh, so ooh. a domain of delight might have a prevailing theme, uh, which you can determine randomly by rolling on the domain theme table. So you rolled a three. Mm-hmm. So it is gloomy. Everything Aww. here has a gloomy cast. Tree branches look like skeletal fingers. Night creatures slink and oh. flutter about. And skull-like faces appear on plants, stones, and sprites' wings. Sorry, guys. So we have this crystal castle. Yes. You know, you said right. moonlight, so it's yeah. got this kind of gloomy vibe. So, okay, it's starting to come together. It is. It already yes. is. Okay. Right, Kate, Kate, do you, you roll next. Do you have a D8? Um, Should have had a D8. I'm going to do it in my, my dice box. Your beautiful witch light dice uh, box. Six. 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 So this next table talks about fake crossings and how you might be able to get to this uh, domain. Oh, this is so the coolest. A, a fake crossing would be a ruined tower. So the ruins of an ancient mm. elven tower house a fake crossing. For three nights each year, a ghostly image of an intact tower appears above the ruined foundation, during which time the fake crossing appears as a shimmering doorway that creatures can pass through. This is actually going together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's kind yeah. of working. I love that. It's a ghostly tower that when you go into it, you go into this uh, skeletal land with a crystal palace. Oh and yeah, God. so it, it goes on to kind of develop ways that you could travel within the domain um, and like weird magical effects that might happen there or even Is there another political table? drama. Let's keep going. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> All right, you're next, Greg. All What's right, our next do two? Two. Is this shortcut? Okay, so these are shortcuts. So shortcuts within Domains of Delight are basically uh, ways to traverse large spaces, large expanses of, of, uh, of land quickly by doing certain like rituals or routines. And what, what did you get? Sorry? Two. This is a two. You got a two. So if you play Ode to the Summer Queen on a lute while skipping counterclockwise around a tree, you could, you could basically uh, move from one place to another within the domain. Ooh. So maybe maybe this is a domain, you know, that was once, you know, part of the the summer court, and this is somehow a melancholy version of the ode to the summer queen, and so on. And you can right. play with that kind of that kind of. Uh, and then once we get to the archway, we can we can double down. But maybe they they were an old uh, uh, consort of the summer queen, right? I can actually picture you doing that, Greg. I'm doing it right I now in my head. <laughs> I don't know what the ode is, but I'm definitely skipping backwards. Clockwise, I can see it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, All right, more, more. Nabel. Okay, so the next one talks about bringing some drama into the domain of delight. So it's not we got know, a kind of static place. So if you wanted to create stories around your domain or with your domain, um, here's something that might kind of spur that. So if you... What did you what did you roll? Why didn't you ask me to create this table, Ari? I feel like I could have <laughs> creating some drama. I could have done this for you. I got another three. Okay, so three. 
The domain's archfey ruler recently turned down an invitation to the gloaming court, offending the queen of Aaron Darkness, whose spies are now sowing discord throughout the domain. So there is still this secret loyalty, perhaps to some, you know, bygone time when there when you were part of the, you know, summer court. Maybe maybe you still are, or those, you know, or the, the archfey still is. So there's something fascinating about being, you know, spurning the uh, the gloaming court. So you're in the right in the thick of this. Uh, kind of political conflict between these two big uh, fake courts. Mm-hmm. Like All right. What's next? Is and the one next more? one is, uh, it, uh, it talks about weird magic, that Ooh, magic nice. might behave or a little bit differently or some aspect of um, something magical might be happening here within your domain that is unique. So who's okay. rolling for this one? That's Kate. Me, me, me. Three again. Jeez. Three again. See, three is a powerful number here. Yeah. So each character in the region gains the benefit of a barkskin spell that lasts for eight hours. So there's this kind of uh, sylvan equality to it. This might start to point to, if we were to create an archfey from this domain, maybe it's like a dryad or something like that. And this magic kind of seeps throughout the land and kind of gives people this this woody bark skin. Interesting. Yeah. So cool. Mm-hmm. I, I have a picture of of this uh, the thing. Uh, what, what do we want to call it? What do we call our our? Is there a name generator? There is not a name. Well, let me check here in case it was. I do not see a name generator. Okay. So that is something that you will have to uh, dig deep on and come up with. Uh, but we can call it. What's a good one here? So we have this kind of. It's got this kind of gloomy look to it. Um, what's a How good about, name? How uh, about Shiari K. Dido? <laughs> Did it. Did it. <laughs> like it. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's so fun. I Shiari K. Dido. I love the idea of just being able to uh, quickly generate something like this that could, uh, you know, allow Dungeon Master just to be like, okay, yeah, if you, you find a portal. Now you're going to go into it, and they may not have it all fleshed out when they first start, but then they can quickly roll it up and, and get people interested in, in the Fae. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so it, 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 it's a really, really fun PDF. Um, I, I highly recommend uh, picking it up. And it's, it's portable. These are, these are tables. Yes, they, these were made for creating Domains of Delight and Arch Fae, but you could pull these tables out if you, if you just need a place that has random, you know, uh, magical effects, or if you need to come up with some attributes for you know your villain or something like that. You could you could definitely uh, um, you could take these whole cloth or change certain entries. It, it it's a really useful uh, PDF. These kind of tables are some of my favorite things in D anD D because um, you know sometimes we can fall into old tropes or or what we know or what we've seen or experienced, and the tables are so. Uh, like, how do how do y'all come up with this yeah. over and over and over <laughs> and over again? And they're all so unique and and uh, evocative the way that they're written too. They have to be a very short amount of text because it's going in a table, but it has to really set the the mood. And I just love that about them. And I just want to call out uh, Adam Lee, who is the primary writer on this uh, on this doc on this document. Nice. Good job, Adam. He's very good at writing. Uh, pithy, evocative text. Yep. That's awesome. Do you love laying out these uh, these kind of tables, Kate? 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so here's the thing about tables. Uh, they, they have a certain style to them. We changed the colors up to match the theme of each book, but um, tables kind of are what they are. So we really rely on the writers to, to be able to kind of edit themselves and make sure that every word counts in them. Um, they're fine. They're not, they're not the most trouble of, of things that can be laid out in a book. That's oh, for sure. Well, what's but. the worst? Now, now that begs the question. Well, the uh, worst is not necessarily uh, the word, but... Um, most, uh, most trying of, you, of your you skills. Need, um, so bestiaries are always... Uh, it's it's a never-ending game of Tetris mm. um, and making sure that things break on the right pages so that you don't have something stat block crossing over, you know, turn the page now to find out more about your monster. Um, so, so those are, they're, they're not trouble and they're really satisfying when they're done. Um, but, but those take more energy than, a table for sure. I like I like that image of it being Tetris because it really yeah. is like here you have yeah. these parts they're not all the same size or shape, um, mm-hmm. but you have to organize them in a way that looks good on the page. Uh, and it has to be alphabetical. Who says so, that? I don't think it has to be alphabetical. I'm gonna. Well, we- <laughs> God, it's a wonder you can do this at all. But it, um, it's part of the the fun of putting the books together um you know and it's not it's it's a graphic design problem it's also a writing problem it's also um a gameplay a game mechanic problem um all of those things come together uh in that section of a book um, I love the old, uh, I, I say this, I feel like every time you come on, Kate, but there's a video that uh, our friends at Adobe produced with you and uh, oh. <laughs> Jeremy Crawford and Emmy. Uh, uh-huh. I think we had, to, we had to act a little bit. I think that was, this is your acting debut where you had to like yes. act what it was like putting toge- a, a, a book together and moving things around, but it did actually represent what you guys do yes. uh, in that final stage of, of, um. of assembling the book. As as the Real Housewives would say, it's not really acting. We were recreating things, um, but we weren't really acting. We were we were building the book we were working on at that time, uh, and we were positioned in a way so that the camera could capture us all. <laughs> but uh, but we we actually were talking about the the product that we were working That's on true. at the time. And here I thought we'd get all the way through this interview without a reality television reference. No way. Not with not, me and Shelley. Not with the two of us here. <laughs> Bachelor in Paradise. Bachelor in Paradise. Bachelor in Paradise. <laughs> That's the worst one. Yeah, it is. <laughs> That's what makes it good. Yeah. <laughs> That's why we love it. It's, yeah. We'll have to, we'll, I'll, we'll have a separate email thread, Kate, where we can okay. catch up on our TV. Used right. to be able to just to walk to your desk and talk about it, but yeah, loudly enough that Greg could hear it and get all worked <laughs> up and give I us a lecture guys. about how reality TV is corroding the fabric of the world. And, ah. uh, <laughs> now Trish I w- would put her moral on. <laughs> oh yeah, well, oh, so subtle. 
But yeah, I we want, could, I we want could a piece of content hint. where the two of you are are cosplaying uh, hags while talking about <laughs> Bachelor in Paradise. <laughs> That's what we're doing, like <laughs> literally right now. <laughs> that would be it. fun, like Scabatha's bachelor recap. <laughs> That's what she's basically doing with her uh, no. theater in front of her in her torso. Which, which, which hag is the one that has the doll that is angry about having to work? Scabatha <laughs> uh, oh. is, is it Scabatha? Yeah, so she's the she's the toy maker. <laughs> And her doll is angry because she has to make toys or something. <laughs> There's so much good stuff in this book. And if her doll was was a stuffed rabbit. Right. Chef's kiss. Yeah. Got some of those in this Wrapped book, in too. Wrapped cellophane. Hmm. Okay. Love awesome stuff. Real. Oh, my gosh. Seriously, I could just keep... I could flip through every page of this book again and just ask you questions about... Why and how? Tell me more. <laughs> Just pick a random page, any page. I'm picturing us being like like 10 years old on your bedroom floor with the book in front of us, like page by page. Ooh. Yes. I want to be this person. I want to be friends with this person. It's like it's a tiger beat magazine. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of having posters of Rob Lowe, we have posters of the Witch Light Carnival. <laughs> Ooh, that Somewhere. hair gone looks cute. <laughs> Too far, Greg. Too far. Too far. <laughs> um, oh, that's yeah. awesome. Well, thanks both of you for coming on. Uh, thank you for all your work on, in making this book. Uh, you can tell the amount of joy that you had while putting it together. I think this is, correct me if I'm wrong, is this the first uh, book that was made almost completely during Ooh. quarantine? I think, I think Ravenloft was. Is that the first one that was from from start Some, to finish? I, that's like a weird distinction, and I think I remember. Yeah, Ray calling that out, but I don't. Well, know. Okay. in any case, you guys uh, didn't miss a beat by uh, you know having to work from home and uh, the artisticness and the and the creativity on display in the book is awesome. So thank you so much. No, oh, yeah, thank you. Yeah, I'm I'm really proud of the book, uh, and yeah, thanks for having us on. Yeah, anytime. I always get scared, and then I love this hour more than any other hour. Oh. <laughs> we should lead with Bachelor in Paradise stuff first. That's that's that's. <laughs> we didn't even have to. <laughs> exactly. Yes, it's always well, so fun to talk to you. Well, I can't wait to hear more stories uh, about all the next stuff that we got coming up. We know, you know, so uh, Kate, you've been working on fizz bands and Strixhaven and all that amazing thing. So, uh, you know, more work. And interviews to come. More, More to fear come. and then More joy. <laughs> followed, followed quickly by joy. Yay. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's so great being able to, uh, you know, just, I've, I feel like in that last hour, we were like hanging out with coworkers again. We were. It was amazing. Yeah. Oh, and it's so nice to talk to them about the amazing work that they do. Um, show that respect and admiration that they deserve because they put together some really amazing, beautiful books. That's their really job. Do. Yeah. They are publishers and creators and makers of awesomeness. And uh, I I mean, I didn't have that kind of tenant going into talking to them about it, but I just love that even just through the course of us 
describing their work, it is very much like a D&D party, right? Like it's everybody yeah. just comes in and pitches in and makes things happen and collaborates together to uh, get this story so that other people can absorb it and then collaborate with it. It's just this wonderful reciprocal thing. Non-stop, non-stop. It's so cool. Um, Amazing. And the work is awesome and you should check out Wild Beyond the Witchlight and the Domains of Delight uh, if you possibly can and uh, jump into it. And I hope you uh, love the artwork and the maps and, and the characters therein as much as we do. I hope so too. Love it. All right then. To find out more about what's going on in the world of D&D, go to DungeonsAndDragons.com. Follow us on the socials at Wizards underscore D&D. Uh, that's Twitter. That's Instagram. You can follow on Facebook. Uh, go to the YouTube page where you can get all of the content around and during D&D celebration up there. Tons of great panels. Lots of great information about what's to come for D&D, including... Uh, the three major books coming out this uh, uh, fall. And then, of course, some hints at what is to come in the future of D&D, in fact. Some pretty big hints. Some pretty large hints. Pretty, pretty. You can read between the lines. <laughs> that's, that's lines, not lions, although there are probably going to be lions. Yeah, but it'd be very hard to read between them. And dangerous. <laughs> because they'd be growling and or snarling and or clawing at your face. Right. Well, hopefully, uh, not eating any beans. Cassie. <laughs> Shelly, where a- can people find you? Oh, you can find me at Shelly Moo on Twitter and Instagram. What about is that you? Where oh. the snail is? The snail there? Shelly, yeah. If you want to follow the pink snail from Wild Beyond the Witchlight on social media, go to Shelly Moo. <laughs> Why haven't you changed your profile pic to that picture yet? That's what I want to know. At least for this month. It's a good idea. Just do it. There's you can't really see the pink one in the the picture in the art that's in the Wild Beyond the Witchlight. Oh, that's why. Um, which is kind of unsettling because like I think it's green that's in the lead. It easily could have been pink. <laughs> like somebody made a like I want to see the art order for that. That was like make sure that pink is rounding up the rear. I think you should Photoshop it and just have pink be winning. I think that's what you should do. And just put my head on it. Yeah. <laughs> well, you can follow me at Greg Tito on Twitter, uh, Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. Um, I think I might be changing my profile pic uh, <gasps> soon, so we'll see. Oh, uh, yeah. Did you get votes on which picture was the best? Yeah, the one that's um, from this summer uh, with a mountain in the background wearing blue sunglasses and the blue Dungeons and Dragons t shirt seemed to. I love be your winner. other one. The casual one with the flannel? No, the one when you're like, I cast magic missile or I cast fire. Oh, you like that one? The yeah. full body one? See, I, 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 maybe democracy doesn't work. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you have just keep changing them up. Who's to say? You can't That's just true. mix it up often. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So going to flip that, uh, make that happen. Who knows? Maybe I'll put that one on the, on the back of the Dragon Talk book, the one with my arm spread. Do you think we'll get pictures? We better get pictures, right? I don't know if we will. Oh. Wow. Oh, my gosh. You didn't even think about that. Now you're like, what picture should I? Uh, yeah. I'm going to have to get a new one. Ooh. Yes, you will. Yeah. Um, but more stuff to come on that book. Uh, we are busy putting up finishing touches on all those fun things. So I uh, can't wait to get more information out about that for you to uh, hopefully get prepared for all this fart jokes 
It's yeah. nothing but fart jokes as far as the It's a big book of fart jokes. <laughs> it is a potty award-winning podcast that we have here. For a reason. For a reason, that's true. So, uh, Drunky. Yeah, let's do you this. You were in a fight. Uh, you were just about to cast Fog Cloud, I believe. I think I did, didn't you I? You cast Fog Cloud, or you were about to. Uh, it's My your initiative. Uh, you're fighting some doppelgangers in a basement below the garrulous grocer in the south ward of Waterdeep. There's three doppelgangers coming at you um, with their weapons drawn. <laughs> uh, I think it actually, was it their turn? Was it their turn to attack you? I remember ah. that Samson and Daryl are like, what's going on down there, drunky? Yep. All right, so... Uh, and I said, come What's your armor class? There. 13. 13, okay. So I rolled a three, a five, and a six uh, on three attacks by the doppelgangers. Uh, so that means... Uh, they have surrounded you. Uh, so you see these weird, strange, almost like, um, they almost look like gray aliens, uh, right? With like big eyes and weird amorphous things. And oh, it's, it's a strange God. thing because you're observing them through your uh, amulet that allows, you know, the, the amethyst eyes of the owl are able to give you the power to see their true form. But every once in a while you see that they are actually looking like uh, halflings, Um uh, but then their their true image comes at you, and they try to stab you with their uh, rapiers. Um, but your cat like refresh is able to I dodge do. out of the way, um, and uh, you are unscathed. Yes, Daryl Samson, get down here! We're on our way. How uh, long does it take? Them, you hear them clambering down uh, the uh, ladder. There's doppelgangers! So, uh, so yeah, they're rushing down there, and both of them are there uh, with you, but they won't, they won't be able to act this turn. Okay. So I, it doesn't look like I have cast Fog Cloud otherwise, I, or maybe I just didn't mark it on my spell sheet. I think you were thinking about it, but then you ended up doing something different. Okay, well, I'm going to do it. I okay. create a 20-foot radius of fog. Um, Where do you want to put it? I would like to. So they're they're surrounding me. Is can yeah. I like back away without provoking them, or can I just? No, because they're in melee range of you. So they just were like stabbing with their were rapiers, and you were just barely able to get out of the way. Oh shoot! Maybe that's not the right thing to do. Do it well. You can't go back now. Okay. Well, uh, the the fog has been cast. And All right. So I'd you like, uh, you said get down here, and they, they your your friends kind of get down, and almost at the, simultaneously as they their feet kind of touch the 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 earth and floor, this fog cloud uh, uh, appears, and suddenly everything is very obscured in this basement. <coughs> All of the halflings, doppelgangers, and uh, both Daryl and Samson. Uh, start coughing. Um, nothing that hurts them, just they're, they're kind of surprised by all of a sudden uh, having it be very hard to see down here. Okay, so while I cast the fog cloud, can I also try to move away at this? Like now that they are, uh, I am obscured? Yes, I'll, I'll, I'll say that, that you can uh, uh, move away now that, that they can't see you. Okay. I slither out of the fog cloud. Okay. Uh, do you want to roll, you want to try to do that stealthily? You want to try and hide? Go ahead and roll me a stealth check. Stealth check. I should be pretty stealthy as a cat. Oh, yeah. I've got a big old bonus here. How about a 17? 17. Okay, great. Uh, I'll, I'll make a note of that. Um, and that you uh, disappear. Uh, and then all of a sudden, you the last thing you kind of hear before we end this is uh, 
Daryl saying, gosh, dang it. <laughs> How am I supposed to attack anything? I, I, I can't hit it with my arrows now. <laughs> what a baby. <laughs> Just hold on, Daryl. All right. <laughs> gosh, darn it. <laughs> As I was saying that, I was like, that's not very in-world. I don't think he would say, gosh, dang it. But Gosh, dang it, drunkie. <laughs> now I can't see anything. <laughs> <It's so bad. laughs>